Good morning, everyone. I received a text from Pastor Mike this morning. They had arrived safely at their resort and were taking an early morning swim in the Pacific. No, I'm just kidding. They're, you thought they were going on a missions trip, didn't you? No, they're down there to build a church. But he did send me a text this morning and let me know that they had arrived safely. And I presume we'll be beginning... Uh, their work probably sometime today. It's good to be with you today. Let me just say before I get started that if I start coughing, do not panic. Something that I have developed in latter years, it happens occasionally. I do have a cough drop in my mouth. Now, I'm not like the one pastor that slipped a cough drop into his mouth and um, decided he was going to preach till it dissolved. And he preached, and he preached, and he preached, and he wiggled that thing around, and he preached, and finally he just had to quit. And when he got done, he reached over and he spit it out, and he had put a button in his mouth instead of a cough drop. I can assure you it's a recoli, okay? And it's there, and hopefully it will do its job. Let's pray real quick. Father, take these words today as we talk about Bible stories as we talk about our own story, as we talk about how you take these and can use them to glorify your name, and we'll thank you in Christ's name, amen. Hebrews chapter 12, a familiar passage of scripture, verses 1 through 3, reads this way, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let's run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith. For the past few weeks, Pastor Mike and others have been ministering to us about our story, and the importance that it plays in our spiritual development and success. All of us has a story, and I believe everyone has the right to tell their own story. Let me begin this morning by just laying a little bit of a foundation for what I want to share with you. The unchangeable events that forever changed my life and my story took place 17 years ago. And although this morning my story is not the message, I want to just chat with you a few minutes about it <coughs> so that we can then move on to the words that I believe God has for us. What I want you to leave with this morning are these words. And I've often told my family that if something happens to me, I, these are the only words that I want on my tombstone. I don't even know that I'll have a tombstone, but it's wishful thinking anyway. And it's just simply this. He finished well. He finished well. And you know, that should be what every single one of us wants. It's not about exactly how we run the race. Because as we run the race, as our story is developed... There will be shortcomings, there will be mistakes, there will be times in our life when we fail, 
There'll be so many things that can happen, but the most important thing is that we finish the race well. 62 years ago this month, I was brought home from the hospital after being born to Central South Carolina. A few months ago, I came full circle when my wife and I moved back here to Central, and I probably live closer to this church than anybody, only probably less than a half mile away. After living in Kentucky, South Carolina, North Carolina, Indiana, the state of Washington, and Florida, I have finally made my last move except to heaven, and I really mean that, my last move. After having spent time in Christian education, time in the pastorate here in South Carolina, worldwide evangelism for over 10 years, and being in more than 30 countries around the world, serving the Wesleyan Church as director of church growth, and then having the awesome opportunity of becoming the district superintendent of the northwest part of our country, I made some wrong choices that caused dramatic changes in our lives and ministry. However, this morning, I want you to know that I serve a God that forgives, that heals, that restores, and that uses our messes and can turn them in to his message. He takes our tragedies and can turn them in to his triumphs. And after a few years of healing and experiencing devastating consequences, God led my wife and I into an awesome ministry in Winter Haven, Florida, where we have served for the past 12 years. This ministry, part of the fastest growing ministry across the church world today, is known as Celebrate Recovery. We actually pastored a church within a church, ministering over the past 12 years to literally thousands of people listening to them, praying with them, giving ourselves to them in order that they may experience hope, many of them, for the first time. God used this ministry as well for my own healing in my own life. Now, after my, I, I found out a few years ago that I was born with a, a heart defect and started giving me trouble maybe 15 years ago. And last year, after the second procedure that they needed to do on my heart, we decided it was time to leave Florida and come back here. It didn't hurt that our daughter had moved and was becoming faculty at Southern Wesley. And she said, you need to come back and be here with me so I can take care of you. That sounded good to me. So um, we did that. And we came back here. And... God helped us to prepare 24 committed, dedicated leaders prior to our leaving to leave the ministry with, and it is still going today and is very healthy, and we thank God for that. But this morning, I want to talk to us about our story, and especially about our relationship and your relationship with Jesus since the most important decision that you and I will make this side of eternity is what we will do with Jesus. It's very important that we talk about this issue. God wills that our story be successful. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about financial success or everything that comes along with that, but God wills that our story become a spiritual success. 
That's what matters the most. There are a few men and women in the Bible that I want to call our attention to today about their story and how we can take their story and use it in our own story. The first one I'll talk to you about real briefly is the prodigal son. In order for our stories to be successful, we must become as desperate as the prodigal son. We read about this story in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 31. And I'm not going to read all the scripture, but I'll tell you a little bit of the story. The Bible says there was a man who had two sons. And one of the sons didn't like his upbringing, didn't like everything going on. And he went to his father and he said, I want my inheritance now. And the dad foolishly gave it to him. And the parable says that he went off to the city and he lived a wild life. He spent all that he had. A severe famine came upon the land and he found himself with nothing. In today's terminology, we would say he had his fling. Today, we would say he became an alcoholic, perhaps, or he drank it up. He lived a life <coughs> of immorality, perhaps even getting involved into the drug culture. But eventually, he became homeless. All the money was gone, and he found himself feeding the pigs in the pig's lot. Now, not only was that a low job, but for a Jewish young man to be feeding the swine made it much, much worse because the Jews have nothing to do with swine. So here he was down there feeding the swine, and all of a sudden he came to his senses. He realized that he had hit rock bottom. He became sick of his way of life. He began to remember all the good things that he had back in his father's house. Few people have the discipline. Listen to this. Few people have the discipline to change course before hitting bottom. Let me tell you why. There are many great myths of broken world experiences. But the, the overwhelming two that I want to mention to you briefly is simply this. The reason that few people have the discipline to change their lives before they hit bottom is, number one, they believe that it will never happen to them. They can look around and see things happening to people all around them, but deep inside they think, that will never happen to me. I will never make that kind of choice, that kind of decision. But we must remember we have an enemy who is staying after us and is like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And the minute that we begin to think that we can handle our own situation is the very moment that we begin to get in trouble. Not only do we think that it'll happen to others but not me, but we'll go a step further and say, but if it does happen to me, I'll be able to handle it. If a broken world does happen to me, I'll be able to control it. And I want you to know this morning that wrong choices that we make, we cannot always control the consequences on the other side. That's just a lie of the enemy. So we need to get as desperate as the prodigal son. We can't get well in the same environment that made us sick. Did you hear that? We can't get well in the same environment. He realized 
the prodigal son, that in order for his healing and his restoration to begin to take place, he needed to go home. He needed to go back, not stay in the same environment that he was in. You see, our problems may have someone else's name on them, but the solutions only have our name. So we have to become as desperate as the prodigal son. Secondly, we must become as decisive as the woman who touched the hem of his garment. We read about this in Luke 8 and in Matthew chapter 9 about this lady who had a blood disease and she came up behind him. The crowds were pressing around Jesus and the disciples were like the secret service surrounding him trying to keep people back. She decided, if only I can touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be made whole. And the Bible says that as the crowds were pressing, she was determined. She made a decision. She didn't let the crowds defeat her. She didn't let the disciples defeat her. But she got close. I don't know if she was on her knees. I don't know how she did it. But she got close enough where she reached out in a, in a quick attempt. And she was able to grab a hold of the hem of his garment. And the Bible said she became whole. And Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? And Peter said, well, I, we, Lord, how can you ask that? Look at this crowd of people. We're trying to keep them back. We, we don't know who touched you. He said, no, somebody touched me. Something went out of me. Now, if we believe that Jesus is omniscient, I believe he knew who touched him from the very beginning. He wanted to teach a lesson here. He knew what was going on. But this lady finally seen came and fell at Jesus' feet and said, I am the one that touched you. She was not lazy in how she sought out Jesus. She made a decision. She meant business. You know, growing up, when Dad pastored over in Spartanburg, and for those of you that don't know, when I was brought back to Central, my dad pastored this church. By the way, I didn't ask were any of you around here when that happened. I was going to be kind and not ask that question. Since my, Becky and I have been back, I have had a few come up and say, I remember when you were, you know. But most of those old-timers have gone on to heaven. There may be some of you here that were teenagers then. I don't know. But we won't go into that this morning. But when Dad pastored in Spartanburg, we had a bulldog by the name of Bozo. Now, Bozo wasn't real big, but Bozo was tenacious. Bozo was fierce. And Bozo was like a bulldog I've never seen. If he got a hold of something and clamped down on it, he would not let go. I mean, he would clamp down on a towel or a rag, and we could get that thing like this. And going around our heads, and Bozo's all sprawled out with four paws going, to, and, but he would not let go. Probably it's a good thing he didn't let go or he'd have been airborne. <laughs> he may have wanted to. I don't know. But, you know, Bozo still gets talked about in our home today. When Martin Paul and I get together sometimes, Bozo will still come up. That dog made an impression on us. Why? Because of his tenacity, because of his determination. He would not give up. And we need people today who will include in their story 
that they are going to make a decision that they are going to serve Jesus and nothing is going to detour them from that. Individuals who have the courage to stand, to speak, to go the distance, pay the price, take the risk, take the flack. Individuals who have the courage to live by truth instead of what's easy, who place principle above popularity, conviction above convenience, and right above recognition. Persons who have the courage to be confident in the face of critics, brave in the midst of barrage, assured in the onslaught of the attack, dedicated at the time of decision, and focused in the moment of fire. We need individuals who can say no when everybody else is saying yes. Courage to follow when the majority scatters. Courage to keep marching when the rest are meandering. Courage to go when the crowd says stay. Courage to walk when others just talk. Courage to hope when most just cope. Courage to contend when others pretend. Courage to shout when some just doubt. Courage to stay the course, hold the line, finish the race, complete the journey, and never cave in. People who will make a decision like this lady who would not be defeated. Remember the decisions that you and I make today determines the story that we will tell tomorrow. Number three, another story that I love in the Bible is the story about Zacchaeus. <coughs> we read about Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And we must be as determined as Zacchaeus. We must be as desperate as the prodigal son. We must be as decisive as the lady who touched the hem of his garment. And we must be as determined as Zacchaeus. Now the Bible says in these passages that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through these narrow streets. And there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector. Probably not very popular. The Bible says he was wealthy. And later on, based on what he said, he had taken probably a lot, well, not probably, he had taken money that was not his. He wanted to see who this Jesus was. But the Bible says he was small of stature, couldn't see over the crowd. So he went and he climbed up in a sycamore tree, which is a fig mulberry tree, so that he could see Jesus. Now, there were three things that happened that were just, I think, are amazing in this story. Number one, Jesus is walking down the street. Zacchaeus, who wasn't popular, I doubt if very many people spoke to him, crawled up in this tree, and he's sitting up there on a limb, doesn't want to be noticed. He just wanted to see what this Jesus looked like. And all of a sudden, as Jesus got close, he stopped, and he looked up in the tree. And the first thing that comes across Zacchaeus' mind was, he sees me. He sees me. And then the second thing that followed quickly was Jesus said, Zacchaeus. And the second thing Zacchaeus thought was, he knows me. They'd never met. He sees me. He knows me. And then Jesus followed up with this. Come down. I'm going to your house today to eat dinner. Now, for him to say that, it simply meant he loves me. 
If he's going to go home with me, nobody in this town will have anything to do with me. If he's going to go home with me and fellowship today, he loves me. Jesus, or Zacchaeus, was determined to see Jesus. A little man in a big tree. But Jesus went home with him that day, and before the evening was over, he and his household had accepted Christ, and he said, those that I have wronged, I know that in the Bible it says, if I have wronged, but in the original translation it doesn't say if. It says, those that I have wronged, I will give back. I will make amends to those. Obedience requires all that Jesus asks. Not just a partial part of us. One thing that I've learned is there are a lot of times people are just aren't determined enough. Now, a little over a week ago, I was one of the many in fact, I was one, I think, of the entire population of this area that had to have one last meal at Western Sizzler. Anybody else in here was in that crowd? I know some were because I saw you there. <laughs> I was standing in that long line. I kept seeing them put up little signs on the board you order off of, sold out. I'd look. Couldn't see it real good, but I kept looking thinking, I hope they don't sell out of what I want. About halfway through that line, and it was moving slow, about halfway through that line, I think I mentioned to my wife another restaurant that I knew we could get into pretty quickly. And that didn't go over real well. So I stayed. I said, I'll, I'm not one to stand in line for long periods of time. But anyway, I, I stayed and was determined that I would get that one last fix from Western Sizzling. I do remember thinking, and I think I told somebody, maybe in you, Joe, but I, I made this statement, wouldn't it be something if this many people showed up when we're going to close the church and brought their money with them? <laughs> the long line wasn't for me, but I was determined, and I saw it through, and it was good. We've got to be determined, folks. You know, I've seen a lot of people, Becky and I both have, that will come seeking a quick fix or maybe they want to see a magic wand. People seeking temporary relief or partial relief, but they don't want, they're not determined to see it all the way through. Things start going bad, so we run to Jesus. Things start not going the way we want to, so we run to the church, and we feel a little better, and it's like taking some Pepto-Bismol when our stomach's upset, and we feel better, and we move on with life, rather than saying, I've got a deep problem deep down in here, and I'm determined just not for partial relief. I want to see it fixed. And then the next story is we must go the same direction as the wise men. This story is in Matthew 2, 1 through 12. It talks about after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came following the star. And I'm not here to shoot your Christmas story, but it probably didn't happen when the shepherds were there. Sometime later, and they went to Herod, and they said, we're seeking 
where the Christ child is born. And Herod said, you know, when you find him, come back by and tell me so I can go and worship him. And we know Herod had one desire, and that was to kill him. And when the wise men came to the house, not to the manger, but to the house where Joseph, or Joseph and Mary and the young child, not the baby, but the young child were, they went in and they worshiped and they presented their gifts. But then God ministered to them, and the Bible says they returned to their country by another route. They went back a different direction. And in our story today, we must go the same direction the wise men went. And what I mean by that is simply this. Having visited with God, they returned a different direction. We live in a world today, especially here in our country, where spiritual ideology today says that I can make a commitment to Christ, but then nothing changes in my life. I can become a Christian, but I can still do everything I've been doing, go everywhere I've been going. And really, I don't have to make a commitment that changes my life. I just have to say, yes, I'm a Christian, or I believe in Jesus. You see, most of us are more interested in what we do, but God is more interested than what we are. And our fear of continuing the familiar must finally outweigh the fear of trying the unknown. And it is God's will that we go back a different direction. In other words, when we have an encounter with Jesus, our lives will change. Things will change. As we walk in God's light, things will change in our life. Things will fall off that should not be there. There will be places that we used to go that we may not go anymore. There will be things that we used to do that we don't do anymore. Why? Because having had an encounter with Jesus, our lives have changed and we go back a different direction. And then finally, the last story I want to tell you about in the Bible it's really more than a story. It's a journey. It's about the Apostle Paul. And the one verse that I want to pick out of all of his writings is in Galatians 2.20, which says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In order to finish well, we must be as dead to ourselves as the Apostle Paul was. We must get over ourselves. You know why? Everybody else has. If you haven't found that out, just, just think about it. We must get over ourselves. Show me a self-centered person and I'll show you someone doomed to failure. It's very important you see, we live in a society today of victim mentality. Nobody wants to take personal responsibility anymore. Well, I'm the way I am because my mama was that way or because my granddaddy was that way. Well, my mama spoke her mind and I speak my mind. Or so-and-so did this to me. If they hadn't have done this to me, I have a right to feel the way I feel. I have a right to act the way that I act. And so... Rather than take personal responsibility, it's always somebody else's fault. 
In order for our story to be successful, in order for us to finish well, we have to get to the point where we take personal responsibility and we get over ourselves and we die out to ourselves and Jesus Christ becomes first in our lives. It's not a matter of what other people think or what other people do, how we're treated or not treated. Let me tell you, if you take any breaths here on this earth, there are going to be somebody along the road that's going to treat you wrong. There's going to be somebody in your story that will try to use you. There will be all kinds of things that will happen. But we must not allow our past to dictate to us. That's a decision I made many years ago. And it was simply this. I refuse to allow my past to dictate my relationship with God and where I am right now in my life. We can move on. And we can be dead to ourselves. The greatest hindrance in developing our story most of the time is the desire to look good. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's human. We all want to look good. We don't want to look bad. But notice what I said. The greatest hindrance in developing our story can be the desire to look good because sometimes to do the right thing, we may not look the best. But we have to make the right decision and do the right thing. God releases his best when we walk in obedience. Some of the most feel-good stories that I've ever seen have to do with Special Olympics and these ESP kids. Have you ever watched any of them who are in a race? And they may be running on the track as best they can, but let one of them fall down. And you'll notice those other kids will stop. And most of the time they will turn around and they'll go back. And they'll help that other kid up. And I have even seen them hold on to that other kid. And they all cross the finish line together. See, it's not important to them really who wins. The most important thing to them is that they all cross the finish line. And when somebody falls... Rather than run by and say, man alive, I feel sorry for them. I am so sorry for you and your situation, but I got to keep running. I believe God wants us in our story to take more time to stop. Help others. Let me close with a story, true story that I heard that took place out in the wheat fields of Kansas. It was a story told in pictures with Riding underneath. And the first picture showed this small Kansas farm home surrounded by literally hundreds and hundreds of acres of wheat. The wheat was nearing time to be cut and it was already probably six or seven feet high. The wind was blowing through the wheat fields and you could see it as it would bend back and forth. And the next picture showed the lady who lived in the farmhouse out hanging clothes on the line and <coughs> there in the backyard her little four-year-old was playing. The wind was blowing and as the wind would through across those Kansas prairies it would become like a small roar and she was taking the clothes down and after doing that she turned and her little four-year-old had disappeared and she didn't see him anymore. 
So she began to call his name and finally thinking he went into the house. She went into the house and went through the whole house calling his name. And now panic began to set in. And she goes back outside and she runs over to the edge of those wheat fields and she begins to call his name and she gets on the phone and she calls her husband and he comes and after an hour or so neighbors begin to come and the calls continue to go out nighttime is falling and people are showing up and people are running here and they're running there they're darting in and out of the fields they're calling the name of this little lad but he is not found and all through the night they look with lanterns and they look with flashlights and they don't find him. And about daybreak, as they were all discouraged, depressed, tired, gathering in the backyard, one gentleman made the suggestion. He said, you know, we've been here and there, but why don't we just link arms together and walk through the field? There were several hundred of them now. So they did. They linked arms together. And the picture shows them beginning to walk across those fields stomping down that Kansas wheat. And the last picture shows a picture of the father of this little lad bending over a drainage ditch, holding the body of that four-year-old who had fallen in and drowned in his arms. And here are the words that said, Oh God, oh God, if we had only joined hands sooner. Our story is important, but our story will only be as successful as those that we join hands and hearts with. As we become as desperate as the prodigal son, as decisive as the woman who touched the hem of his garment, as determined as Zacchaeus, as the wise men were who went back a different direction, and then as we realize it's not so much about us as it is about we. That's what makes it important. Father, this morning, our stories, you have given us all kinds of stories in your word that we can use to challenge us, to help us on our own journey. So that not only we finish well, but that we take others with us. May it be so in all of our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.